Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Simply Finance. And this is a special one today as I kick off a new series called the Founders Series, where I'm going to be interviewing different founders in mainly the, the food and drink CPG space to learn about their story of developing the brand, uh, as well as diving into how they came up with the idea, the story behind it. We're going to sprinkle in some financial topics and you know raising money and bootstrapping and how they kind of went from zero to one to take the concept to a, an actual idea or product. And my first guest, it, guest is the, I have the privilege of having on Matt Molinax, who is the CEO and co-founder of Huron. And Huron is a men's body wash company. And what's special about Huron is, um, you know, Matt has an extensive background in uh, finance. He spent, he was actually one of the first employees at Bonobos, uh, which was acquired by Walmart.com when I worked there. And he then went to Stanford and got his MBA. And then, you know, he had his own uh, basically like, you know, skincare issues. And when he went to try to find clean ingredient body wash for men, he ended up at a lot of high end New York retailers that were selling, you know, bottles for 65 to $75 a bottle. And he just thought there had to be a way to create a clean product that wasn't extremely expensive and was a little more. Um, you know, a smaller barrier to entry for guys because guys, I, I think, you know, across the board, most men don't want to spend that kind of money on body wash or really just don't care to spend that much money on body wash. So Matt and his company Huron, uh, they're trying to really change the way men think about uh, really taking care of themselves in the shower. It was a really interesting conversation. Uh, I really appreciate Matt for coming on the podcast and letting me ask him some questions and really dive into the history and the story of Huron. Um, and we go into, you know, what I said at the beginning, a whole deep background into what started the company, how he started it, you know, his first products, how, um, you know, how he bought his uh, fiance into the idea and, and really sold the concept to friends and family to get their buy-in and just like what it takes to be an entrepreneur to start, you know, a company in this type of space it was a great conversation. I hope you guys enjoy. And uh, thank you, Matt, for coming on the podcast. All right, guys, Matt is up next. All right. Well, uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of Simply Finance. I'm pumped today to have on the co-founder and CEO of Huron, Matt Molinex. And um, Matt, I'll let you just kind of give a little intro, if you don't mind. Yeah, Shane, thanks so much for having me. Um, you know, super excited to chat about all things Huron and whatever else we want to discuss. But I guess a quick kind of background on me and how that transitions into Huron. Uh, so originally from Ohio, uh, went to the East Coast for undergrad, graduated in 08, embarked uh, on a quote-unquote finance uh, adventure to New York City, uh, quickly realized that maybe that wasn't the best place for me to be in 2008, so started to put some feelers out there, kind of what, what, what else I could do, um, kind of as an entry-level position, ended up, you know, very fortunately meeting the guys at Bonobos, which was a team of five at the time, so you know, the world of DTC really didn't exist at that right. point. Um, so I ended up leaving my investment banking job and becoming 
the sixth employee at Bonobos, which was uh, which was a great experience for me. Spent a little under two years there, and you know, was a part of a team that you know we grew pretty pretty rapidly at that at that stage. But it was fun to kind of look back, you know, not only to see what some of those people are now doing, kind of 10, 12 years later. A lot of them have kind of gone on to run and manage companies, um, definitely at scale within the D2C sphere. Uh, but just also to think about kind of the evolution of the direct-to-consumer landscape, right? You know, I, I vividly remember a, a Saturday in January of like 2009 thinking about whether or not we wanted to offer free shipping. So it's just like some of these <laughs> right. aspects are now kind of ubiquitous within the DSC sphere. We're, we're really kind of quote-unquote cutting edge at the time. So that was, that was a really cool experience. Dr. Bonobos ended up moving to Chicago, um, got back into finance, spent a few years at UBS uh, in investment banking, and then spent a few years in a consumer private equity role, um, investing in brands like a Bonobos. So kind of early growth stage, kind of first institutional check-in. Um, and that to me was a, was a phenomenal experience. It kind of gave me a little bit of the operating vantage point into businesses across the spectrum. And I think that's really where I got kind of my professional affinity for the the broader personal care and beauty landscape where obviously the margin structure was awesome. Um, you know, the, the product replenishment. So these are products that you could in theory buy eight, 10, 12 times per year. Right. And I think one of the things that kind of stuck with me was you know, there's so many awesome, compelling brands targeting the female consumer in this space and kind of for the timeframe purposes, this was 2012 to 2015. Uh, so brands like Drunk Elephant and, uh, and others. Right. Um, but there really wasn't a lot of brands doing that for guys. Um, you know, like I said, I'm kind of from Ohio. I was living in Chicago at the time. So your options were what was at Bloomingdale's and what you would find at Walgreens, right? And Definitely. there's a whole lot of white space in between. So I thought that was always kind of compelling. Um, and then to be, you know, super transparent, uh, you know, on the personal side, I was just the kid that grew up with bad skin, right? So I had tried seemingly everything that existed at your local Walgreens, CVS, Kroger, what have you, and nothing really worked. Um, you know, I'd gone the dermatologist route and, you know, experimented with a bunch of those uh, products and, you know, and even medications. And for whatever reason, just it didn't really stick. And it really wasn't until I was out West for business school, which is what I did after uh, leaving Chicago that I wandered into one of those more premium personal care stores, beauty stores that I reluctantly bought a $70 face wash. I was like, well, here goes nothing. Um, you know, and, and the product worked and my skin responded positively. But I think for me, what was a little bit of an, you know, an internal tussle, which was a, I, I didn't like paying $70 for that product. B, I didn't really know anyone who did C the whole experience was, was kind of off. Um, but I knew plenty of people who would seemingly like the results. Right. So the thought was, how can you kind of bridge that gap? And without being too cliche, that was kind of like the light bulb moment, which was, could you actually create a brand that offered products that looked, felt, acted, performed like some of these more higher end brands, but at a price point that made a little bit more sense with the brand that seemingly resonated a bit more, a tone of voice that kind of spoke to you, the consumer. Um, and that's kind of what I was, what I was ultimately interested in. So uh, we ended up launching a survey in late, mid to late 2017, just to kind of understand what was out there, right? Like, what do guys buy? Like, do you buy on Amazon? Which price points are you comfortable paying? What does your routine consist of if you even have one? Do you still use okay, bar yeah. soap? Like, any of those questions. And then we actually took all those data points, um, you know, thousands of them, and actually built and launched a fake brand, which was super interesting. So we okay, built an entire yeah. website, built a website, and then ran social media campaigns all across five markets. So we tested Detroit, 
Kansas City, Minneapolis, Columbus, Chicago. So kind of like the broader Midwest. Yeah. Just to see like, was there anything there? Was there any traction? And for me, that was like a really good kind of piece of third party validation, for lack of a better term, that, you know, I had this internal hunch that I thought there was some momentum here, but I wanted proof points, right? And I think that's oftentimes a misconception of entrepreneurship that a lot of folks are very risk seeking, right? And oftentimes you're you're quite the opposite, which is you're constantly looking at ways to kind of like make sure that what you're about to do, there's actually some some traction there. So had a lot of success with that. So we, uh, my girlfriend at the time, fiance now, we moved from San Francisco back to New York to kind of pursue this full time. Um, So I landed here March of 2018 and kind of ran kind of three parallel processes. One was trying to figure out a creative agency that could kind of bring the brand to life per se. Two is we raised a little bit of, um, of angel financing. So kind of raising money and fundraising. And then third was trying to create product. And I was very fortunate enough to um, be connected to uh, this guy, Matt, who's ultimately my co-founder now, Matt and Matt, makes it yeah, easy or difficult, however you want to look at it. <laughs> um, and he spent upwards of 20 years developing product for some of the most recognizable brands in the world. So he worked under the Estee Lauder umbrella. He built kind of the men's Tom Ford line, for instance. He worked with Lab Series. So he was kind of, you know, the mad scientist, so to speak, and how to actually make these products. And I think our common thread around vision and who would ultimately benefit from these products was certainly there. And he was kind of the person that knew how to make the super high quality stuff. And I was kind of the person who had the experience of not being able to pay for that stuff, but knew a bunch of people who would like the results. Right. So, you know, the, the, the journey was on and kind of how to bridge that gap. So yeah, we, we ended up working on, you know, formulations for the broader part of 2018 and into, into 2019 and ultimately launched actually last July. So we're a little under a year old. Wow. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the, the not so short backstory. No, that's fantastic. I mean, there's so much in there to unpack. I think one of the questions I actually had, cause I read some article online about you starting the fake website. I thought that was such an interesting way to do it. I mean, to your point, I feel like a lot of people have a, uh, you know, a hesitation maybe to like start something. So one of my questions to you is going to be, you know, what's your suggestion from going to zero to one, if you have an idea or a concept, but you sound like that's kind of you, that's kind of your answer to that was you just kind of tested it. You didn't actually start a company yet. You just took the the general thought and uh, started a fake brand, which I thought was wild. Yeah, I mean that was a really interesting process. I mean, and, and and I wish I could take credit for that idea, but literally I was sitting with my roommates in San Francisco at the time, and we had gone out just for a few beers, and you know I I've been kicking around this idea, and they're like, well, why don't you just do it? Like, just put up a website. And I was like, I don't know how to build a website, and they're like dude, there's like a bunch of tools. It's like not difficult. Just like put one up and see what happens. And so then that kind of like seed was planted in my head. And I'm like, maybe we could just do this for a really low cost way. And that's going to be much more cost efficient to see if this thing actually has legs versus if it's a totally awful idea. Right. Um, But I think, you know, in, in kind of thinking about that process in general, there are a million reasons why you can tell yourself no right? It, the timing's not right. I'm about to move. For me personally, I just graduated business school and I was like, I got to pay back these loans. Yeah. Um, you know, th- there's a million reasons to say why this is not the right time, but you have to be kind of your own cheerleader per se. Like you will always find kind of an, an out route or, or a backdoor to say like, ah, eh, just not now. And I think for me, I was like, you know what? Like, let's do it. I like, can, let's just see what happens. Um, so, you know, I, again, like I'm, every, everyone's story is different, but would encourage people if they're thinking about things, there are very low cost cost ways and tests that you can kind of conduct to see whether or not your idea that's been manifesting inside for how, however long 
right. actually can get traction. Definitely. Yeah. What were, um, from that test, do you remember what were like some key findings that kind of took you from concept to like, okay, I'm going to do this. That you remember? Honestly, I, yeah, yeah, it was a good question. I mean, that exercise was less around solving for some KPI or meeting some threshold, right? For me, it was almost like a gut instinct of, are there enough proof points that would suggest that this is actually something worth pursuing? And I think for me, it was just a volume of attempted checkouts. And, okay. you know, what's, what was kind of like a little bit of a disingenuous piece was you know, when creating an Instagram account, you obviously have to create an email address, right? Mm-hmm. So people would see our Instagram ads, they'd visit the site, they'd attempt to check out, they'd add products to cart, and they couldn't because we obviously weren't collecting credit card data because we couldn't ship product because there weren't any. Right. So I got uh, a hefty amount of hate email being like, your website sucks, it's broken, like I can't <laughs> check out, this is awful. And I was like, ugh, like, mm, sorry. Just hold on, we might actually do wait. this. Wait, yeah, just yeah. wait. Just give, me, <laughs> give, me, give me a little bit of time and, and, and we'll be back. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I think for me, it was just kind of like, more of a binary yes or no, does this opportunity have, um, you know, have legs? And I thought that that it certainly did. Okay. That's awesome. No, that's so cool. Do you, a question I love, I've heard this before on podcast. Do you remember the conversation with your significant other? You said fiance, when you guys, when you kind of like talked into yourself into like, yes, I'm doing this. Do you remember that? Really good question. Um, we actually didn't have that conversation one-to-one. So I, I was doing some consulting work at the time and helping a few brands. Um, some were going through a fundraising process and just figuring out ways where I could use kind of prior experience, kind of help brands who were going through growth, growth stages. And we were actually sitting, uh, sitting in a bar with some friends on a Saturday in San Francisco. And one of her friends actually asked me, she said, well, well, what's up now? Like, what are you working on? I was like, oh, I'm actually like going to pursue this personal care thing. And my fiance Sarah looked at me and she was like, are we, are we telling people that now? And I was like, <laughs> I guess we are. Um, so I, I've go. actually never thought about that until now, but that was kind of, I guess the, the moment. And then from there, look, I mean, it's a perfect example, right? Like you can always say like, uh, like I have this thing, but I'm not really focused on it or For sure. you know, it goes back to, there's so many reasons why you can ultimately say like, this is not the right time or you know, maybe in a few weeks or months, but I think that was uh, actually a pretty good turning point to say like, no, this is something I'm actually going to pursue. Right. And then probably once it was out there and you told people about it, then it's almost like a little bit of a fire. Like, okay, shit, I got to kind of got to get started on this now. You've officially jumped off the diving board. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. That's, that's awesome. And I thought it was interesting. I was looking through your LinkedIn and your background. Um, I was curious, did you, did you get much heat from family, friends when you like, you know, you've done all this investment banking, Bonobos was interesting because I used to actually work at, I actually worked at walmart.com when they acquired Bonobos uh, in e-commerce for them. So that was was a funny tie together. Um, And then you go to, you went to Stanford and then decided to start this. Did, was that like, was, did people, I always, I think it's interesting to ask entrepreneurs, did you get a lot of doubt or hesitation from family and friends? Yeah. Um, no, I was very, very lucky in that regard. You know, I, my parents have always been extremely supportive. Um, you know, my mom's been a teacher. She, she actually retired this year, 37 awesome. years. Um, and my dad never had the opportunity to go to college. He worked at Delta right out of school. So to be quite honest, like this notion of the business world was very nebulous to them, right? When, yeah. when I was working at Morgan Stanley in 2008 and staying till seven in the morning working on stuff, they're like, what are you working on? 
Like, yeah. what is possibly that important? Like, why don't you go home at five? And I was like, yeah, it's just not really how this works. Yeah. Um, but no, they've always been extremely helpful and supportive. So I feel, you know, very fortunate in that regard. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. You, um, and I was going to say, you, you, you mentioned when you moved to New York doing some angel investing. I think since this is a kind of a finance-related po- podcast, I thought it'd be interesting to kind of get your take mm-hmm. on, you know, you went the angel route early. Was there a reason you decided to raise money versus try to bootstrap? Or like, what were your thought processes when you went through that whole process? I think everyone's situation is a little bit different. So for me, you know, I was just kind of transitioning out of business school and I was like, well, I got to figure out like how to how to live yeah, <laughs> more or less, right. especially, especially in New York. Um, and I think one of the things for me that was very, very important was investing in brand. And what I mean by that is, you know, we, we were still at the time almost 18 months away from launch, but thinking about, you know, what's the brand name, what's the color scheme, what does the packaging look like? What's the tone of voice? What will the web experience be? I mean, those are so integral pieces of the puzzle that oftentimes, you know, as a regular consumer, you probably overlook 99 times out of a hundred, but just thinking about the minutia where you really kind of exhaust over like, is this the right Pantone red or is that the right Pantone red? Or does your logo have rounded edges or square edges? I mean, these were like heated debates and discussions. Um, But we wanted to create something that really resonated with the broad audience from time zero. And I think I, certainly saw that at Bonobos, um, obviously RX bar kind of the same, like this notion of identifying a brand, understanding what the brand stands for, um, and not being maybe confused with like a completely different brand redesign or anything like right. that. We just wanted to come out with, we felt like was something that was, was strong, was clean, but it was also high quality and kind of reflected the product that would ultimately be inside of it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I remember, um, we moved into a new office for our ex the end of or beginning of 2018, but I think Peter actually brought in a bunch of samples of Huron and they ended up floating around all this. We had this, you know, the section of desks where there's a lot of guys that sat and they just were like everywhere one day. And I remember looking at the packaging and loved it. I was like, this is such a great idea. Cause like no one's doing this. And like all of us guys that work there were, you know, I don't know, we work for a company, RX has simple packaging and Sure. I think the Huron, Huron simple packaging really connect with a lot of us. Um, so I, I totally get that. I think it's interesting too. Um, your, your path to go to market and the e-commerce component, I'm noticing a lot of these brands that I've been talking to lately um, all have a really strong D to C component or their only component. Is there, was there a big strategy behind just the D to C component of launching that way for you guys? Good question. I mean, I think for us, like obviously my experience at Bonobos had certainly played a factor into that. And I thought one of the things, maybe the most important thing I learned at Bonobos was, you know, how to create this insanely intimate relationship with your customer. Right. And, you know, we were a small group of five or six at the time, but like everyone had a customer service role, regardless of background or role within the company. And I think that for me was something that really carried over to ultimately Huron um, and just thinking about how can we create this kind of crazy one-on-one engagement that people would feel comfortable telling us about like their bad skin stories, right? Like we filled a, a, a ticket yesterday where someone literally wrote in like a two page email around kind of their personal journey and like how Huron has like meaningfully impacted that. And like, that's a pretty amazing email to get, right? The, Definitely. the fact that someone would take the time to write that. 
And those are kind of the things and the data points that we can point to and say like, you know, what we're doing is actually pretty awesome. I mean, we're kind of in a small way, but we're effectuating behavioral change, right? We're right. kind of figuring out how people can better take care of themselves. And, you know, this is not, you know, uh, a, a life changing brand by any means, but if we can give a guy a little bit more pep in his step as he's leaving his house or his apartment every morning, like that's, that's a pretty cool win. Um, so sorry, I completely deviated from your original. No, question, no, that's great. That's fantastic. No, I was curious. The that, that's fantastic. I it's funny. I connected really when I started like learning about Huron. When I first got those samples, I uh, I had the same problem in college. Like I, you know, it's funny. I never had a lot of acne, and then I got to freshman year of college, and all of a sudden it was all over my face. And I didn't figure out until junior year that I was using Old Spice, and I had some weird reaction to Old Spice. And so I, you know, went kind of went through that whole route of trying to find something clean and simple, and um, you know, I didn't end up finding some random brand that worked, but it, you know, I would have loved to run into something like Huron where that's like the goal. And it's, it's so I think there's probably so much more of a need. And to your point, I think a lot of guys don't really talk about it. So it's, it's totally. you know, and, and I mean, there's a little bit of like a discovery process, right? It's, you know, that there's a period of time where it's just like, it is what it is, which is yeah. like my least favorite saying of all time. But like people are just like fine with the status quo, right? It's like, okay, like I'm breaking out. That's normal because I'm in my early twenties or right. my late teens, whatever. Then there's like a, hmm, maybe I should do something about it. I have no idea what to do or where to go. So maybe my sister, girlfriend, fiance, whomever, like maybe she has stuff. I'll just start dabbling there. Definitely. Then it, then it turns into like, okay, like I have some experience and it's like, I kind of like the way my skin feels like maybe I'll actually like pursue this a little bit. Um, I mean, we actually put like a, like a funny Instagram post up today, kind of like reflecting that kind of uh, the evolution of kind of oh, men thinking, that. but yeah, I was, just, um, I was just looking at it before I got on here. Yeah. That's yeah. Funny. Uh, but, but I think the, like the way that we try to communicate that even on our packaging, for instance, is, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, which is like, how can we be as simple, simple and straightforward as possible, right? Mm -hmm. Like how much to use, what you can expect from this product, like, how should it be applied? And then let me be on my way. Like, right. I don't need a paragraph. I don't need like a label that's going to pull out to a booklet. Like, just give me what I need to know and let me be on my way. And I think that's a, a misnomer for a lot of guys, which is like, I don't want to have this defined skincare routine because it's going to involve 46 steps. Like, that's not the case, actually. It's, it literally adds like eight seconds to your morning routine. Definitely. Right. And that's right. kind of like the goal is to help guys like get out of their own way when it comes to some of these, some of these products. That totally makes sense. Have you guys seen, I mean, obviously you're heavy, you know, online and D to C I saw you guys are also on Amazon and I read an article about, you know, you guys are in like CrossFit boxes now, which is an awesome segue obviously to, you know, what RX has done too. So sure. have you, how is like the different sales avenues? Um, how have they kind of gotten traction for you guys? I'm, I'm curious cause it's such a different type of product. Like, I would never think to buy, you know, you know, skincare or, or, you know, body wash at a CrossFit box, but I think it's a great idea. Yeah. And, and it's obviously like the merchandising strategy is different from an RX bar, right? Yeah, like, right. unfortunately we can't, you know, no one's going to just like casually buy a face wash after doing a workout every day. Um, but I think what we realized is there's a not too small number of folks who go to the gym in the mornings and then shower and go to work every day, right? Or five days a week or four days a week. So if we can almost like hijack that behavioral loop of, right. you know, I'm showering here four days a week and I really like what's in the shower here. So I'm just going to buy that for home. Like yeah. that's a really interesting kind of brand discovery mechanism. 
Um, so the CrossFit boxing has, has been actually pretty productive for us. And obviously it's a very engaging community as you can certainly speak to. Definitely. Uh, I think for us, for Amazon, what's, what's been really nice um, is it's almost like a, uh, a validator in some extent. So what, you know, maybe someone will read an article or see a, a press piece on here on, and then they'll just immediately go to Amazon and be like, is this actually a real brand? Like, does, right. this, does this actually exist? Yeah. Um, and I think having a present there has been, has been huge for us, especially over the last three months with COVID because people have just kind of turned to Amazon to be like that one retailer that is going to deliver and is yeah. going to be on time, right? Because right. I'm a prime consumer. So I think having a presence there has actually been extremely helpful over the past, like I, mean, I said, you, three you guys probably fall into the like necessary items I would imagine, right? Cause you're like, you know, yeah. something that's clean, exactly. cleanliness. So yeah, that's even better. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And I think, you know, for better, for worse with COVID, I think people have now become much more aware and conscious of what they're putting on their bodies, right? There's just been this increased emphasis around hygiene and self-care and personal care, um, which I don't think is going to go away anytime soon. I mean, I think will people be washing their hands for 45 seconds at a time, every clip, like maybe that practice will fade a little bit, but I think there's an increased awareness to at least, you know, the practices that, that they're currently going through. Yeah, definitely. Have you guys seen um, a huge spike just in orders during COVID? I know like e-com, just a lot of e-commerce platforms have seen that. I'm sure you guys probably have. Yeah, I mean, it's been uh, it's been a, a busy past few months. I mean, I think we kind of sit in an interesting intersection between D2C, having an Amazon presence, and then being in kind of the broader personal care category, right? right. Which, and any three of those elements have kind of seen a little bit of a tailwind, I think any company that's operating kind of in our sphere has certainly seen uh, a bit of a lift over, over the past three or so months. So yeah, we've been very fortunate in that regard. Right. Got it. Are you guys planning on like, is your distribution strategy right now to you? Do you guys want to be in larger like brick and mortar locations? Or are you guys trying to like stay in the D to C lane for the time being? Yeah, I think for us really since time zero getting offline has actually been pretty important. So, you know, the, the CrossFit gym angle is, is a good example of that. But I think, I think for us, you know, figuring out who the right retail partner universe is, is something that'll be very, very important for us. Um, but also understanding how retail is going to change going forward, yeah. right? You know, there, there will right. be some stores that won't come back after COVID. Yeah, right. It's sad, but it's just kind of a, you know, a matter of fact. So understanding not only, you know, the evolution of our consumer, but where does he or she shop ultimately going forward? And like, how can we be there and have a presence? Right. Yeah. I can imagine like I, you, you, when you said the CrossFit situation it reminded me of like, you know, I used to at RX used to work a lot with like our specialty accounts. It's like what I came into. So it was like e-commerce and specialty. So like, you know, the high-end gyms like Equinox and Lifetime Fitness, I feel like a lot of those would love to have, you know, their showers there. They just have like random, no branded, shampoo or whatever in there so i'm sure that's a big play too that's so wild it has um i think what i was trying to get to earlier i was thinking back to is my d to c question was is that something you would suggest you know like any cpg brand should kind of go through that avenue like i guess i I know the backstory of like how it worked at rx and, and the pros and cons of that but i'd be curious from your perspective and then at bonobos too is that something that you think is just like the best testing ground for any type of product you're selling is to start online yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think from a pure test opportunity, it's, it's, it's the best thing you can do, right? It's, it's going to be very difficult for you to pre-launch, fill a 200,000 unit PO from Target, right? right you better right. have some pretty clear certainty that the product's good or it's going to work. 
I think with, uh, you know, with, with the D2C angle, it allows you to understand you know, who's clicking on your ads, who's right. ultimately buying product, what products are they buying, for what reason, how long are they staying on site? I mean, there's so many little takeaways that you can extract just from one person's consumer journey. It's honestly right. kind of scary. Yeah, um, right. Obviously, you have exposure to that. But um, in terms of proof points, like there's, there's not really a more efficient channel that I can think of that you can still kind of control your own destiny, right? Like obviously going the retail route or the wholesale route is very, um, is very attractive because the volumes are much larger and you're, sure. you know, getting POs for thousands and thousands of units. But then you're kind of relying on maybe an 18 year old store associate to be your best brand ambassador, right? Yeah, exactly. With D2C, we have the opportunity to engage with these customers one-to-one. You know, if someone sends in a, a chat with a question, like it's pretty likely that I'm the one that's going to be answering. Oh, so wow, we can yeah. start to have like this really engaging conversation. And I think, you know, one of the things that we've, we've really put on our shoulders is like, we want to have those conversations because those are terrific opportunities. And Peter used to talk about this all the time. Those are terrific opportunities to extract so much from customers, not in a transactional way, but like, how'd you hear about us? Like, like, what can we do to improve? Like, what about the site sucks? Like, what would you like to see different? There's just Definitely. like so many opportunities to have really engaging conversations that you just totally miss out within the, the wholesale channel. Yeah, right. I know when I started at RX, what was interesting was they made, no matter what your function was, you had to go through uh, two weeks of customer service. That's like all you did from nine to five, five days a week. And just being, I've worked in corporate finance my entire career, then going to RX and then not doing finance for two weeks at all and just sitting in customer service. I gained so much empathy just for the process of starting a company. I mean, you just get, you get random, you know, old lady calling in like curious about what this thing is in her bar and you're like trying to talk her through it and explaining the pros and cons. I mean, it was just so interesting to like talk to customers. I know um, for me, I think that's got to be one of the, the most exciting things about starting your own thing is, you know, you, you understand exactly what goes into it and how it was made. And when you get to talk to your customers and actually get that feedback, that almost, to me, just felt like an invaluable thing. And it wasn't even the thing I created. I was just a part of it. But for someone like you, who's actually started, I'm sure that's a, an awesome component of, of building your own business. Totally. And, and again, I think you, you hit the nail on the head perfectly. It's just that immediate feedback loop. Right? right. You understand what's working, what's not, how do we fix what's not, how do we double down on what is. Right. And I think that's constantly going through our heads at all times. Got it. Um, one thing I thought it would be is also another interesting thing I like to ask founders is, do you remember the like first, I guess like version one of your first product? Do you remember like the oh, first time you made it? Awful. <laughs> it was awful. It was awful. Um, you know, we, we worked with a manufacturer that we, ultimately pivoted away from uh, with our pre-launch assortment. So that, you know, that added a few months delay to our, our official launch day, which like really made me uh, contemplate a lot of bad things. So I was like, man, let's, this is terrible. We're going to run out of money. We're going to do all, all this stuff. Right. Um, and, and I'll never forget. I, it was like October ish. Can't remember the time frame. something around there, early fall. And we did a, uh, a trip with some friends to Houston and we was, I was like passing on samples. I was, I was awesome. so excited. Yeah. And people are using the product and I'm just like looking at their reaction and they're like, like, yeah, this is great. And they're like, kind of, kind of talking. I'm like, guys, like, what? just like, tell me what's going on. They're like, 
my face honestly feels like it's going to fall off right now. Like it is, I was like, oh my God. Like burning? Um, like something? Like yeah, it something. was just, so it was, a, it was a face wash, but it was like so drying. It, it felt like you were like literally using sandpaper to wash your oh, face. Oh, got it. Okay. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is horrible. Um, so like, obviously like immediately called other man. I'm like, hey, we got to like, what's going on here? Like, here's the feedback I'm getting. Um, it, it's just funny to think about kind of like how far the product has come because, you know, I think, you know, coming full circle, you know, being a brand in 2020, a D2C brand, even a brand in general, like your product has to be awesome. Mm -hmm. Like having good product is kind of table stakes. I do think there's still a little bit of a moat around having like absurdly great product and wildly biased. I would put ourselves in that category. Yeah. But I think people have a high degree of expectation what they're ultimately buying online. Like the packaging has to be on point. The unboxing experience has to be awesome. And the product better, you know, fall in line. I think there was a time early on where you could kind of get away with like really chic packaging and like a cool look and feel and like a quippy tone of voice and have like very suspect product. That time has certainly come and gone. So I think for us, like we've set the bar really, really high for ourselves because like if if we're not loving our own product, how can we honestly communicate that to our customers? The hundred percent. Yeah. And so we have to be the biggest product advocates for our own products. And, and we, we have that in mind constantly. And we probably drive our manufacturers crazy because we're constantly like, ah, this is close, but we need to fix this. And even once we release a product into the market, I mean, we're still evaluating. What can we do better? Is this level of this right? Or is it too high, too low? So we're constantly tweaking. Um, but that's why we think like, you know, that's kind of the degree to which we, we hold our product to. I think that, yeah, I think that high quality standard though is probably what's going to carry you guys, you know, really far. I think there's probably a lot of, I feel like you could get into anything and compromise quality and it, you can last you a little bit, but to your point, to have like a cult following and to really have like, especially in the, in the, you know, you're going into communities that I, I would argue like, especially with fitness and CrossFit specifically, like those are some cult followings that you probably get one chance to have a high quality thing. And if it, you know, as you know, just as well as anybody, you know, if, if something comes in and someone has a bad experience with it, you know, you can, it, it spreads through the community pretty quick. Yeah. So that's, yeah. No, that's wild. You're exactly right. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I think, you know, ultimately what we're trying to do is kind of decommoditize a commoditized purchase, yeah. right? Like there, there's no shortage of options lo- walking into your local Walgreens and buying body wash, right? So can we actually convince you that it's worth a few extra bucks for this product? And I think, you know, there are interesting ways kind of on the information or education side that have, have proven, um, you know, to be good scripts and narratives for us, but it's tough. Um, yeah. And you're right. You, you do kind of get, you know, one, one shot um, at time. So it, it's really got to resonate. Yeah. And that's really true. I mean, I, I was thinking about it before we came on here. I'm like, yeah, last time I went to buy body wash, I, I mean, I, I remember I just went and like looked at the prices. That's like all I did. Totally. I, and that's probably what a lot of guys do, I would assume. Totally. I mean, I, I, a funny analog and, and I was guilty of this back in the day. Um, I feel like guys shop for body wash, like you shop for Gatorade, right? It's like, Oh, just give me the, which flavor do you want? I want yellow. It's like, yes. well, yellow is not a flavor. That's the color <laughs> app. And like, but that's how a lot of guys are like, Oh, I use the green. It's like, well, yeah. green like, wait, wait, wait. also like your body wash is green. Like maybe that shouldn't be the case. Right. So it's just like, again, I think for this category, it's really interesting because decisions have been made on autopilot for such a long time. Like yes. 
during the course of your day, you go through thousands of decisions. The last thing you want to do is read the back of labels at your local Walgreens, CVS, what have you. Right. I think, I think what we're trying to do is say, like, shame by all measures, like, you're actually a premium consumer. You just might not know that yet. Like, Got you it. buy Bonobos, you don't buy Dockers. Yeah. You eat RX bars, you don't buy bar X. So like, why wouldn't you be willing to spend three extra dollars on body wash when it's going to be better for you? Because I think this notion of premium in this category is like you own a $700 serum and you do masks seven times a week in, but it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. Right. It's just spending a little bit more, but it, but it's doing so kind of in parallel with how you're living your life currently anyways. So again, it's just kind of this notion of like helping guys like get out of their own way a little bit and be like, yeah, like I should be probably taking better care of myself. Definitely. And I think there's probably a little bit of an uphill battle, I'm sure, for you guys. I know for me, uh, I grew up in Indiana and I feel like when I was in Indiana, it was very common for me to go to like sports clips for my haircut, you know, cheap, cheapest gel I could find. Same with shampoo and, you know, body wash. And then I remember moving to Chicago a couple of years ago when I came to RX. My wife's from here going to even just going to like a barber in Chicago and realizing how much more I'm paying. And then like she, I remember my barber, the first time I went asked me what hair product I use. And I was like, hair product. I'm like, what do you it's like gel? What do you mean? And I told her and she's like, you know, what's in that shit. Like there's so much stuff in there that you don't want to put on your head. So that started like spinning in my mind. So I can only imagine like when you think about across the country, how many uneducated guys even realize like what they're like, it's funny, like I've read an article, you talked about it where it was like, you know, to your point, people are worried about what they're putting in their bodies making sure they're exercising and all these good things, but sometimes they're not even thinking about the, like the body wash and like what's in that. And so that's, I I feel like you guys are doing such an awesome, you have such an awesome mission. I'm sure it's the the education piece. That's probably the hardest. It is. Yeah. And certainly appreciate that. And I think you bring up a really interesting point. Like one, I'm sure you walk out of that barber's chair feeling like a bazillion dollars, right? It was probably like the best haircut you've ever gotten. I think now, honestly, what's funny, and and this is a, a, a very salient point for the time but like guys consider themselves like you know i don't care about this category i've used the same thing for however long are the same guys who are like i have got to get a haircut like as fast as humanly possible it's like well i thought you didn't care so what but now all of a sudden like getting a haircut is like literally the top three things on your priority list so just again it's like it's not even really the educational part it's getting guys to like see and hear and like understand that like this is just part of how they're already living you know we talked to something like for instance one of the models we use in our photo shoot um this big guy he's actually he installs elevators okay uh, uh we so what well backstory when um when we sourced our models for the shoot we kind of identified all of our models none of the guys were models we literally just walked around lower manhattan and we're like hey what are you doing on tuesday like want to come in and interview for this photo shoot we're doing we'll pay oh, you a few right. hundred bucks so you just and, took like random guys 100 percent none of them had any modeling experience beforehand. And like, that was like important for me. And I remember kind of in our brand building efforts, like we were talking about this photo shoot and they were like, we're going to use this modeling agency. And I was like, for what? And they're like, the source models. I was like, nope. Like, we're going to go find our models. And they're like, really? I'm like, yep. But I'm like, but that's part of it, right? There's like this, there's this cool element for a lot of our assets on the site where there's almost like a little bit of uncertainty around like, how do I actually use this product? And like, that's exactly the guy that we're talking to. Right? Yeah, right. That's and I, I wanted that to kind of like manifest itself in the photo shoot. But, but anyways, you know, we were, we were going through this photo shoot and like we had built this makeshift shower. It was hilarious. And 
oddly enough, the model's name's also Matt, and he's just an absolute unit. He's like 6'6", he's huge. We didn't want to buy a sh a, like a full shower, obviously, because that would have been super expensive. Sure. So we had one of our set designers like literally on the step ladder, like pouring a bucket of water on him to like act as a shower. And he's like scrubbing with our body wash. He's like, man, this stuff like actually smells good. I'm like, yeah, dude, like, yeah thanks. Like I, I told you. Right. Uh, afterwards, he's like, you know, like I, I've always used just kind of like mass market stuff because like I didn't really care. But I also used a, a $60 beard oil. And I'm like, hello. Like, yeah. guess what? You're a premium consumer. Like, because $60 is really expensive for a beard yeah. oil. Um, so again, it, it's just kind of like, what are the, the tactics to get kind of this light bulb to go off for this guy? And, and that's, that's kind of like what our mission is, right? Like our job is to help guys help themselves. We're not here to tell you what to do. We're here to kind of arm you with product to help you like find your own way, so to speak. But anyway. that's awesome. No, that's such a good story. Cause that's exactly, that's exactly how I thought about it was on your site. When I, I was just looking through it and I was like, I actually, that's funny. You said beard oil. Cause I was thinking that I'm like, I have friends who spend so much money on beard oil. I was literally thinking that today when I was thinking about the brand and I was like, but I bet they don't spend that money on their other like body care stuff. And totally. it's even funny when you say premium, like, it's like you guys are premium versus like the mainstream stuff for sure. Like if you saw it on shelf, I would think, but then I was talking to my wife today and like, I'm looking, I was asking her how much some of the stuff is that she buys. And I was like, Oh, that's your $75 <laughs> bottle type stuff. So even for guys, like I, I think to your point, it's like, yeah, it's gonna be more than the mainstream stuff, but it's for good reason. Like there's quality in it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And even um, with our body wash, for instance, like it's, it's a lot thicker than your typical body wash, it just lasts longer. I mean, whenever whenever I open oh. up one of our bottles, I literally write the date on when I open the bottles. Okay. And I shower like a weirdo, I shower all the time. So I shower probably twice a day and sometimes more. And the last brand, month I was, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I just like the product. Um, it, it took me 38 days to go through that oh. bottle of body wash. So when wow. you think about like how long the product actually lasts, like it lasts a pretty long time. Yeah. So I think like once people understand like, okay, I don't need to like pour a, you know, a gallon of this for every single shower. Like it's like, okay, well this actually lasts a little bit longer because it's of better quality. Um, but again, like that's part of like the, the educational piece, the informative piece that is on our shoulders to make sure we're communicating well on site. Right. Right. No, that totally makes sense. And I'm sure, I'm sure for you guys is word, word of mouth, like a big thing at this point. It is, it is, it is. But honestly, I mean, it's also tough because like, how many people you walk around the street being like, yo, do you use here on body wash? It's so awesome. Like it's, <laughs> it's different versus like being able to point out a pair of all birds or even bonobos or, you know, some outward facing piece of clothing. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we do get a lot of traffic via word of mouth, which we're obviously very, very appreciative of. Yeah. That makes total sense. Um, I had another question. I'm going to pivot just a little bit. I was really, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm very interested in, um, I've always been interested in like how two founders or multiple founders come together and just like their pros and cons, especially obviously for me at RX, seeing Peter and Jared just yin, yin and yang, like very, just, they're just perfectly good at the opposite parts of the business cycle. Um, your co-founder, Matt, I mean, you explained at the beginning his background, which sounds like he comes from a breadth of knowledge in this industry. How did you guys get connected? We were connected through a mutual friend um, that I had met through kind of the business school community. 
So he was an investor and he knew Matt because he had reached out to him a few times, just kind of looking at various deals in the space. And when I had spoken to this person about like, Hey, I'm moving to New York. Here's something about it. Like, Oh, you should definitely meet this guy. And I was like, yes. Right. So he, he looped us in and, you know, we, you know, kind of a standard, you know, intro meeting, like you meet for 30 minutes for coffee. Our first meeting was like four and a half hours long. Oh my God, this is insane. I was like, I could stay here all day. Yeah, it was great. It was great. So it was, um, it was very serendipitous, I think, on, on both of our parts. Yeah. And do you, I'm going to ask kind of a similar question that I asked before. Do you remember, do you remember the actual conversation where your co-founder, Matt, and you kind of, again, just were like, yes, we're doing this? Good question. I mean, it, so that, that first meeting was kind of like the first stepping stone. And then, you know, it kind of worked as like an advisor advisory relationship. And then, um, you know, as we started to get into development, we just talked about like, look, we're on the phone for two hours a day, every day anyways, like, let's just do this. Love it, um, and, and yeah, we've kind of been in, in the trenches since then. So, uh, but to your point, kind of like Peter and Jared, like our skill sets are incredibly complementary, okay. And I think that allows us to, um, to one, like obviously be not down each other's throats at all times, arguing over, you know, some things we have two different perspectives on. Not to say we agree with everything, but aside from kind of the product development world, Matt comes from like a consumer insights content marketing world, which has been super, super helpful. And I think what that allows us to do, and, and I really respect him on this point, is we overanalyze everything, but we also understand how important it is, right? So before an email gets sent, before a social post goes out, like we are all like, should we change this to that? Like every single word is analyzed because there's such an importance and a focus around voice. Because I think voice for us is ultimately what kind of draws a lot of consumers to the brand. It's meant to be very relatable. It's meant to be very inviting and welcoming. It's not like a hey, we're this brand from New York. Like if you don't have 1400 steps in your personal care routine, then you can't, you can't sit with us, right? right? It's actually quite the opposite. You know, we kind of adopt the, the tone of voice or the, the relatability of kind of an older brother, right? Where it's like, maybe we're a little bit ahead of you, but we're still kind of figuring out as we go, but we're like not quite out of arm's reach either. So it's just kind of, again, meant to be very inviting, welcoming, relatable, um, and I think we're able to kind of, uh, attack that from two different angles and, and the output has been very good for us thus, thus far. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that sounds like a very powerful combo and I'm sure, I don't know if you want to talk about it on here or not. You guys, do you guys have a like plan for future, like, like line extensions? I'm sure. Yeah, we do. I mean, we have some few things coming up that we're really excited about. Um, you know, we, we actually, uh, probably in the clear to talk about this, but uh, we, so we had actually made uh, a run of larger body wash bottles nice. for, for, for gyms. Okay. Um, because what we learned, oh, yeah, which is like, know. which is kind of a, a blessing and a curse was a lot of gyms were like, these products are amazing. Our customers love them, but we can't carry this anymore because everyone steals them. And I was oh. like, well, that's, that's like a good data point and a terrible one at the same time. It's like great for brand, terrible for business. Yeah. Um, so like, sure. okay, we need to, we need to make like the pump jars. Um, uh, so anyways, like basically right before COVID we had done a small run of these that we thought would last almost a year, six, at least six months in terms of getting it out to gyms that we work with. And we thought we'd be in the clear, 
we're like, you know what? Like, obviously gyms aren't open, unclear when all of them will be back open. Why don't we just do like a little teaser launch to just our email subscribers? We won't put anything on social. We won't put anything on our website and let's just see what happens. And we sold out in eight days. Oh, wow. So I was like, okay, Congrats. this is, this is good to know. Yeah, that's <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Right. Um, so what I'm getting at is, you know, it's, it's been fun to be super engaged with our community and be able to turn on something that's, that's new and shiny and bright and see the level of receptivity to that. Um, so we're excited about a few launches that we have in the pipeline. That's exciting. That's exciting. Yeah. I use hair, I use hair product like crazy. So if you guys want to work on that, that would be, uh, I'd be, I'll Noted. definitely be a huge fan. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Noted. Okay. Good to know. That's awesome. Um, Let's see. What was the next thing I wanted to bring up? I, um, I think one of the things that I, I thought was interesting when I looked at your, your background, you know, it seemed like you had this hunch for a long time that you like thought there was a gap in the market and then you kind of kicked it around. You tried launching, you know, the fake brand, the website, and then gave it a go after business school. You, you did have like a finance background and worked in finance in a couple different firms do you think any of those or one of those was, you know, what was the best prior experience to being an entrepreneur that helped you like be successful to kick off here on? Yeah, really good question. You know, it's hard to pinpoint exactly what quote, 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 the best experience was per se. And honestly, once we got into market, I was like, man, I, there are so many things I don't know anything about. Like, I really wish I had a background in performance marketing or content creation, like zero background on that stuff. I think, one, exposure at Bonobos to, again, the customer service and the customer experience side of things was very, very important and an important foundational piece to, to how we think about our relationship with our customers at Huron because our job is to substantially outkick our coverage in terms of how we're working with our, with our guys and, and, our, and our customers. Um, so that was certainly a, a really great experience to have before ultimately pushing go with Huron. I think from a, from a finance capacity, like just understanding working capital and margin and AR and AP and a lot of those things that, um, you know, not a lot of founders really have, have access to, uh, you know, before ultimately launching, right. it's certainly not the, the sexiest of topics, right? Um, you know, creating a, a, a beautiful Instagram post or an amazing email, like those are skills I, I certainly don't have and they're like fun to have and fun to talk about, but I think the nitty gritty of saying, great, like our weeks of inventory on hand is X, we need to place a PO by Y and being able to kind of figure that out pretty quickly and speak with the team internally and say like, great, like let's get that out today. I think that's allowed us to have a bit more flexibility. Um, I think it's allowed us to act a little bit more nimble um, and allowed us to have like very frank conversations with our manufacturers, right? Like what can we do to lower the MOQs? What can we do to, uh, lower delivery and transport costs such that, you know, our margin improves, you know, th there's so many little factors and levers that we can pull that, um, you know, without spending a number of years in finance, like, I don't think I would have had a strong grasp on that. But, but again, like, I, I feel like I might have a leg up in, in some of those fields and am like wildly underqualified in others. So it's certainly, it's certainly a balancing act. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. Like really being an operator, it sounds like that's really what you've, you'd have taken from a lot of those other roles. And I'm sure I'm sure Bonobos, I'm sure at that stage you were at, to your point with customer service, I'm sure that was a huge launching pad for how you guys wanted to handle customer service here on that totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I also just understood like the notion of 
like being able to act and function as a really small nimble team. Like we did that for a number of months, right? And I think, you know, for better or for worse, kind of the wave over the past 18 to 24 months in D2C is you, you look at a lot of these brands, they're not brands, they're companies, right? There are hundreds and hundreds of employees and there are amazing social events and there are really cool happy hours and the work-life balance is great. But like, honestly, what I appreciate at Bonobos is like you, you would go to work on a Sunday because there were things that you had to get done and your other five team members would already be there because they had the oh, same yeah. frame of mind. Right. So there's, there's this, this hunger and this drive, honestly led by empathy that I think we've been able to create within our small, small nucleus of folks that has really created a, a really good culture. And it's not to say that, you know, we're, we're on 25-8, but we are so emotionally invested. Um, you know, we, we really understand what the goal ahead is. We understand what the vision ahead is, but it's like, it's fun. Like this is by far the most rewarding job I've ever had by eons. Um, so it's fun to wake, wake up every morning and just feel like I'm not going to work, but feels like, you know, we're building something for our consumer. That's exciting. Yeah. I'm sure that's an awesome feeling to have. Is it how big, like how many people do you guys have at Huron today? Like what size is the company? The team is three. Three. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I didn't realize it was that small. And is there a, was there a reason you decided to start it in New York? Was there an, an advantage of being on the East coast there? So my fiance is, uh, is from the East coast and her company that she, uh, works at had offices in SF and in New York. So it's a pretty easy transition for her. And when we moved out here, I uh, was an idea phase. So she got to captain that ship. Obviously I was <laughs> like, you go wherever I'm along for the ride. Um, but, but New York is a really good place for us because a lot of really close mentors from Bonobo's days and elsewhere here. Um, and there's just a, a really good D2C pulse here as well. Um, you know, the opportunity to benefit from other brands, other founders, other D2C kind of executives uh, has been really, really great. And it's a very welcoming um, and very friendly community, which we've benefited tremendously from. That's awesome. Yeah, I was going to say, I, uh, I was I'm always curious of like where companies decide to kind of, you know, put their anchor. But I can imagine with just the breadth of people and companies in New York too, and obviously, yeah, your background, that makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, the one finance question I kind of hinted at, but I wanted to kind of ask directly, I think it'd be, sure. I think it'd be interesting for a lot of people that listen to this podcast, just to give you a little background are, you know, either a lot of people that are getting started with investing. I have a lot of people that have reached out who um, just are interested in starting their own company and want to understand a little bit more to your point, like the operator component of, of starting a business if they don't have a finance background. Um, and so I was interested, interested in, I personally honestly don't know a ton about this, but when you go and you guys obviously had a successful seed round of funding, what is like some of the steps to even start doing that? Like when you, you, before you guys started to even go raise money, like what, what was like step one and like, what would you suggest people if they have a concept and they're, they want to go raise money, but maybe they don't have a connection pool. Like how do you even get started in that process? Yeah. Um, and, and I will preface this by saying, you know, we're, we're very fortunate to have been able to, to raise some outside capital to kind of get here on off the ground, but it was a slog. And I talked to a lot of people and I got a lot, a lot of no's. Um, okay. So just kind of like understanding and kind of setting expectations are like, it's not easy. Um, and I didn't think it would have been easy, but no, I thought that we had a compelling story with kind of two co-founders with compelling backgrounds and some compelling connections within the D2C space. And sometimes that doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so it was, uh, you know, it was certainly tough, but, you know, just kind of thinking back on 
kind of like our early fundraising decks per se, you know, I think one of the things that uh, moved the needle for a lot of people was that early test that we actually did to say like, okay, great, you have this hunch that this will work, but is there any data behind it? Do you, you know, aside from industry data that you can Google, do you have any first party information that says like, Huron will be a winner because of X? And I felt like being able to recap that experiment um, and talk about some of the learnings there, I think was a, was a good enough proxy to say, you know, I firmly believe this company will work because we did this kind of experiment of the course in a few weeks and here are the results that we saw. Um, then we went and, you know, found Matt, who's kind of has this amazing background, very relevant to the space. Um, but it was still tough. It was still tough. So I think that exercise kind of added some substance to those conversations. But I think from a, from a starting point, you know, aside from like getting a, a pitch deck and, and whatnot put together, you know, look towards brands that you respect in the category and just kind of work backwards. Like who invested in this brand, who invested in Harry's, who invested in Dollar Shave Club um, and start reaching out. I mean, there, you know, there's no secret sauce really, but what I would say also is, you know, understand that you're going to get a lot of no's, but that's okay because oftentimes a no will lead to a yes, because a question that I would oftentimes ask at the end of meetings, if there wasn't a fit, but there seemed to be kind of a connection with the person on the other side of the phone was, you know, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Do you have anyone in mind for whom this may be a better fit? And oftentimes those doors that were opened oftentimes leaded to a yes, led to a yes. But you would never get at that if, you know, you, you took the no personally and you're like, Oh, screw this person. Like they don't believe in it. Like that's not always the case, right? It could be not the right time. Maybe the category is not right for them. Um, you know, whatever the reason may be, but to actually make the ask of, okay, if this isn't for you, do you have a short list of folks who may be interested? Um, and that's honestly how I got to uh, a lot of the angels who ended up participating in the round. That's great advice to kind of just never give up and keep grinding and, and keep moving along. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm assuming a lot of people that I've, you know, I've chatted with think that that's kind of like, there's this like magic pool of people that are just like waiting for every request. So that's great to know that like, it's, it's, it's like just like anything else, like going to get customers, going to get funding. You kind of got to hustle and go find it yourself. Totally. It's kind of like, uh, you know, it's kind of like playing defensive back, uh, in football, which I play in college. Like you gotta have a short memory. I gave up a shit ton of touchdowns in college. Okay. You gotta have a short, you gotta have a short memory. There's, there's right. always a next step. Right. Uh-huh. right. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a, it's never, the no is never personal. Although I got some really interesting emails back in response that were no's. Um, it's rarely never personal. Um, but you just have to, you know, continue to believe in the vision, continue to believe that what you're ultimately going to put into the market will be a winner. Um, and have that, you know, confidence, not arrogance, but confidence. And hopefully that will resonate with whomever's on the other end. And they're, you know, they're willing to intro you or to connect you to others who may be a better fit. Got it. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, I have a kind of a dumb question. I, and I, the reason I'm calling it dumb is because I'm sure there's tons of reasons and I just don't know it. Uh, but I remember this was a thought that I had when I interviewed with Peter at RX was um, for Huron, for example, and maybe you probably had this question when you went through some of your pitch decks and you were pitching investors for seed funding. But do you know, and do you guys have a pretty good assumption of why there haven't been some of these major brands that have tried to come out with a cleaner product that kind of fits in like the competitive set where you guys are. I honestly think there have been, um, and not too dissimilar from RX. I mean, you've seen a number of big coast CPGs, especially in the food space 
try and come out or do a rebranch, rebrand rather, uh, you know, with something that may be healthier, simpler, et cetera. Right. I think what happens is, um, you know, a lot of folks who are millennials or whatnot are kind of programmed to see a lot of these big brand names and say, "Mm -mm, not for me. And I think there's also like a little bit of a, uh, you know, there's a little bit of pride in being able to sport like a smaller brand, right? And it's something that, you know, you want to tell your friends that you just bought a pair of Allbirds or like, yes, yes, those, those are Bonobo's pants. Like there's like this cool, um, you know, uh, what am I trying to say? Like almost relationship with these brands that, you know, if you feel like you're kind of contributing to their growth story a little bit, um, that you're not going to get with Nestle, right? right. Um, or uh, a Unilever maybe. So I think there is a little, little, little bit of that pride and kind of brand discovery, which is kind of a, a cool factor. Um, so it's definitely been attempted by a lot of these um, larger brands. I think what's, what's the tide is turning a little bit on is kind of the, these massive exit opportunities um, where people are basically just, or these companies, these big co-CPGs are basically just buying up distribution lists, right? Yeah. Like these billion dollar acquisitions because, uh, you know, a company is doing 50 million in revenue. Like it's probably, th- those days have probably come and gone. I think now, which is what we're focused on, which is how can you actually kind of cross the chasm from being a brand to a business, right? Like we operate in a category where the margin structure is pretty favorable. And if we get to a point where we're super efficient in a spend from a spend perspective, like we should be profitable and in in a pretty healthy way. And that's certainly what we're striving to get to. Um, So I think it's, you know, especially over the, the last three to six months, I think that the tone is changing a little bit for how quickly can you grow your top line to can you actually be a sustainable business? And I think that becomes a pretty interesting and compelling argument for anyone and including you as a business owner, right? Because then you can say, we don't need to go raise money because our business is spitting off cash so we can self-fund the business. And I think that that is ultimately the driver's seat that you want to be in. Got it. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I, I, we, you know, it's funny, we've seen a similar thing just at RX and you've probably seen this maybe, you know, with Peter and Jared with, you know, your relationship with them. But yeah, it's, it's funny how these big brands try. And I think that is something like our generation is, we kind of have this thought in the back of our heads about some of these huge brands and we were at, to your point, would much rather be connected to something smaller that's got a, that's kind of have, has the connection to millennials and the, and the things and, you know, things we care about and the, and the way we talk, I think even too. It's totally it's an interesting transition. I also think for some folks, it's almost like a way to kind of like scratch that entrepreneurial itch, which is, you know, I, I found a lot of these cool niche early stage brands that I like to support and I read about their websites and I read all the emails and it's just, you kind of feel interconnected. Um, I mean, we're, we have like a pretty engaged community right now, okay. yeah. um, hundreds and hundreds of customers, which who would have thunk a lot of guys would want to talk about face wash and body wash, but like, <laughs> it's, it's awesome. Right. Yeah, and this is, so I, I think there's just this heightened level of engagement uh, and support for kind of early stage brands that don't have a massive CPG logo stamped on them. Right. No, that totally makes sense. That totally makes sense. Um, last couple questions I had one, sure. well, I'd just be curious from your perspective. And again, without telling me anything, you can't tell me what is the next, you know, year, what's like the one, three, five plan at a high level for, for here on and from your perspective look like. Yeah. Um, really good question. I think <laughs> one of the areas of improvement for me personally is like, 
I need to spend more time thinking about that. Like I, and the three of us as a team are just so in the trenches at all times. Sure. And I, and I love, I love being in the trenches, but being able to oscillate between being in the trenches and then having a, a bigger kind of strategic vantage point, I think is something that the three of us can all really work on to be, to be quite frank. And I think for us, like I'm less worried about manufacturing some sort of financial output, or if we get to this number, then we can do this. And really the focus is on what can we do to better serve our existing customers and how can we convince more new customers that Huron is a brand for them. And I think when you just kind of simplify things down to those two kind of pieces of the puzzle, a lot of that stuff down the road kind of takes care of itself, right? Because what that ultimately translates to is how well are you retaining your existing base and how efficient can you go acquire new ones? Right. or new customers. And I think at the end of the day, for better or for worse, like that's what a lot of these efforts boil down to. Um, so we're thinking maniacally around how can we turn a customer who's bought from us three or four times to make sure that he buys from us for the next seven years. And then okay. how can we convince yeah. someone um, who's on the cusp, like what is it that's ultimately going to move them across the finish line, whether it's new products, whether it's a different way we're engaging with them. Um, you know, what is that, that that we can kind of continually build this, this loyal base that we've, uh, you know, that we're grateful to have cultivated thus far. Yeah. So that's kind of like a, a roundabout answer that doesn't really directly answer the question. But um, you know, I think for us, like, look, we'll slowly build out the team. You know, I think one of the things that, that Peter and Jared uh, executed to a T was they hired when they needed to hire, right? I think there's this fallacy around kind of like hiring ahead of growth. Well, what if that growth never happens? Then you just have a super loaded organization. Right. right. So we, we try and put a lot of eggs in the buckets of really high skilled, high qualified candidates when we need them. Mm-hmm. And right You're now it's like, first. right, exactly. Right now we are extremely busy, but we're growing and we're okay. We're not at capacity yet. For a while we were, Matt and I were stretched incredibly thin and we added one. And while it may seem crazy to, to say you, you added one, I like to say that our team grew by 50%. So when you think about yeah. it like that, we're like, wow, like we just added a lot of capacity. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, we're very intentional about everything that we do. And I think, you know, we'll slowly build out the team, but it'll be when we need to add, add them. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, when you think about three and five year, like I don't even know what's on the docket for tomorrow. So it's hard to really talk about that, but sure. no, for sure. us, you know, uh, and then I'll, and then I'll shut up. I think one of the things and pieces of advice that I would have for anyone who's thinking about starting a business is this is one big exercise of opportunity cost, right? When you're speaking with our service provider X who's pitching you, you're not answering customer service tickets. When you're, um, thinking about, you know, topic Y, like you're not critiquing your performance marketing strategy. So there's always this push pull and I think one of the things that, you know, that, that I've always tried to remind myself of is we need to be continually honing in and refining the scope, like not expanding our focus, but actually constricting it and really think about addressing those two buckets that I talked about earlier, which is essentially acquisition and retention. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how we're thinking about things. Love it. No, that's great. And you guys are really, like, to your point, you're in the trenches right now and you're trying to grow a business and, um, I think there's a lot of, ex- there's a lot of excitement in that, you know, not getting too in the clouds, you know, there's, you don't know a lot of what's coming. So it's, you're trying to figure it out as you go and build it, you know, in the right way. So. Totally. Now, now I will say this though, don't get me wrong. Can here on be a $500 million business? Like, absolutely. 
I mean, if you just run the math around, look at a guy who's bought Old Spice since he's been 15 years old. That's yeah. 10 purchases a year over the course of 10, 15, 20 years. Like, and you do that across not too many consumers and all of a sudden you get there pretty quickly. So it's just, can we attract the right guy and convince him that this is the brand for him and then make sure that we're doing everything that we can possibly do to retain him as a, as a loyal customer. Um, like I, I don't think that output is, is crazy reaching for the stars. I think it's something that we need to execute on such that we can get there. But what we're worried about in the, in the very immediate term is making sure we're, we're building the right infrastructure in place so that we can get to that level. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And then I can only imagine, I mean, you guys seem like you have the branding the packaging and the messaging that if you get enough people to know about it and then you go into bigger retail, it's going to be a, a slam dunk. I would think, especially yeah. for guys that, you know, go to Costco or go wherever. Totally. You know, it's, totally. Like, it's slam dunk. Um, my last question, this one is like not finance related or business really related at all, but I love to ask everyone I have on here is um, do you have any suggestions for if you had one book or, you know, article or something for knowledge to pass on to somebody else that you would suggest? Yeah, uh, the power of habit by Charles Duhigg. I'm not sure if you if you've read that, but um, I'm kind of a su sucker for consumer psychology and psyche, and it talks a lot about just habit loops and routines and what drives routines and how do you break and form routines. And I think for us, like we operate in a category that is very routine driven, right? Like you get in the shower, you throw some shampoo in, you reach for a body wash. You wash, maybe you wash your face. Most of the guys we're talking to probably don't. You <laughs> hop out, you dry off, you get on your way, right? So right. what are those cues? What are those pieces of you know, insights, knowledge, education that we can offer this guy such that all of a sudden the face wash becomes something that's more routine? Is it like we're suggesting, hey, put this by your toothbrush so you know to do it twice a day? Like wh what, what can we do to kind of like, hijack that habit routine so that this becomes an autopilot practice and we get into his again for lack of a better term routine but knowing how guys tend to shop for this category and use products right it's i buy what i have always purchased so i'm not really interested in making a change that is our biggest opportunity um, is being the brand to effectuate that change so going back to the book i mean i i think it's just very it's spelled out in a very interesting, graspable, intuitive way. And it just goes through like so many data points, talks about Febreze, talks about so many different case studies around how things are rebranded, remarketed, um, the script has changed, et cetera, that I, I, I gifted it to Matt. I gifted it to Johnny when he first started. So awesome. it, I think it's a, it's a book that drives a lot of kind of the why behind here on it, but also like the, the tactical element of things as well. Um, so yeah, that's a, you know, if, if we had a, a bookshelf and had room for one that would certainly be the the one fantastic that's exactly what i was hoping for i will uh, i'll definitely add a link to that in the show notes just so people can awesome. find that that's awesome um cool. well matt thank you so much for for coming on it was this was a blast i had a pleasure yeah, getting you. to talk to you about it is there um obviously everyone go check out it's you it's at use huron right on instagram yep. And then yep. um, is there a, a way to get a hold of you that's best for people, whether that's, you know, email, social media, anything you'd want to share? Yeah, I'm just mad at useheron.com. So it's pretty easy. Uh, I, I respond to everything. Um, it might take a little bit, but I respond to everything. So yeah, I mean, look, I've been the beneficiary from a lot of helpful mentors, friends, et cetera, um, who've kind of helped this journey. So I'm always open to sharing thoughts, insights, feedback, et cetera. Um, yeah, so feel free to reach out. Awesome. Okay. 
Well, Matt, thank you again so much. I know you're a busy guy, so I really appreciate you taking the time to come on to Simply Finance and uh, hope you have a great day. And I'm sure we'll, we'll talk again soon, but good luck with everything with Huron. I'm, I'm definitely going to pick some up. So Awesome. Thanks, Shane. Really yeah, appreciate absolutely. it. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. See ya. All right. Bye. See ya. Thanks for listening, everybody, to today's episode. I just wanted to quickly get on here and remind you of a few things. Number one, there are two links in the show notes. The first one is to the COVID Rebound Stock Market Tracker. That is a place where I am keeping track of all of the companies that I want to invest in post-COVID dip, as well as all of my current thoughts on the market. This is also where you'll find tabs that walk through a lot of the examples of the math behind the concepts that I talk about on the podcast. Secondly, there's a link to Robinhood. Robinhood is the investment platform that I personally use. They are not a sponsor of the podcast yet. And that is a great place for you to start your investing journey if you haven't already. And even if you have, I would suggest taking a look at Robinhood. Uh, it's zero commission fees. There's no fees at all to start or to trade. Uh, and by using the link, you will receive a free stock. And lastly, just want to remind you guys, if you enjoyed the podcast, I can't thank you enough uh, for listening. But what, what I would really, really, really need and would love your help with is to uh, smash that subscribe button, smash that like button, and please leave a review. It helps a lot for the growth of this podcast and this platform. Thank you so much again, and I hope you guys have a fantastic day. Thank you.